listening to The Currency. Welcome. I'm your host. My name is Mike Gast, and glad to have you guys along. This is episode number 108, 108 of The Currency, and I'm recording this on a Monday morning. Now, typically, I record the podcast on a Sunday, but uh, Sunday turned into quite a spectacle here. We knew this neighborhood in Charleston, and our neighbor said, oh, yeah, come around Christmas time. We'll do uh, horse and cart rides. And we're like, okay, I'm not sure what that's all about. But yesterday around three in the afternoon or so, a bunch of cars started showing up in the neighborhood. People pulling off to the side on the grass, getting out, lots of little kids running around. And just that that grew and grew, that crowd. And we, re- we knew, I mean, we, we, we'd been told somebody texts us, hey, uh, this weekend is the horse and, horse and carriage rides. Okay. Well, come to find out, uh, there's somebody that works for a company that does horse and carriage rides. Now, if you know anything about Charleston, it's an old city. I think it was founded in the 1600s. It's, it, it might be one of the oldest cities, if not the oldest in the U.S. And it it uh, has a lot of old architecture downtown, some you know really cool cobblestone roads. And if you go downtown, like we'll take Isabella for a walk on the weekends, a little quieter. You'll walk around downtown you'll see these horse-drawn carriages, these carts with, you know, they can hold probably, I don't know, 10 people plus minus. And these things, maybe more, will go around the city and do tours. And there's all these interesting architectural, architectural and historical points of interest throughout the city. And you can get on one of these rides and see the city full of tourists usually. So we'll see these horse and carriage rides going around, horse and cart rides. Well, somebody that lives on our street works for one of these companies. She's a handful of doors up from us. And I guess they organize every year for this uh, event where they will bring the horse and carriage into town, into our neighborhood. And uh, a food truck or two will show up with desserts, you know, deep fried, whatever. And uh, everybody takes turns once nightfall hits doing kind of a big loop around the neighborhood. So they'll get in the cart and uh, take it around. There, I mean, there were just, there had to be, there were hundreds of people at our street. It was just crazy. Lots of kids, lots of noise. And the cool thing is everybody kind of goes out of their way to decorate uh, with Christmas lights and so on in front of the houses, kind of make a really cool little experience for the kitties to be carted around. And they did that for a few hours. So, uh, you know, they probably started around five, six o'clock once it was dark. And they went till almost, I, I want to say they went till about 930. And they went for a while. And um, so what was kind of cool is while we were, we kind of took the dog out, Isabella's like nuts for these horses. I, I'm, I, I'm certain I'm that she thinks they're just big dogs. She wants she wants to play with them. Little does she know she gets stomped on if we let her loose. But um, while we were out there, some neighbors a few doors up came down, a couple similar to our age, a little younger than us, but similar in age. Uh, and they were we were kind of chit-chatting. I said, hey, you want to you want a drink while we're talking? So we, you know, we grabbed a couple bourbons and the girls had something warmer, I think. And we just sat chatting while well, the kind of chatted the night away. So around 10 o'clock, we said goodnight. And I was like, I got no juice. I can't do this podcast. I'm exhausted. So, uh, so I got in bed. And uh, so here we are. That's a long story to tell you why I'm putting this out on a Monday versus Sunday. Not that anybody cares, but um, 
but that's what's going on. I want to spend a few minutes today just talking about rights. You know, we hear a lot about rights. We've heard a lot about rights for decades in the U.S. You know, probably from the 60s on, there was the whole civil rights movement. And in the 70s, you know, you know the liberals were really big on on rights, freedom of speech, and so on. Now we're in the 2020s. You know, we're, we're talking about rights in it for, through a different lens, you know, uh, uh, right of free association, right to bear arms. Uh, you know, you just it's interesting how this argument of rights has evolved over time. And, you know, I think the reason these issues evolve is because each age, each generation, each time period has its own unique set of problems or challenges and an even unique set of ideas informing it. And, and so then you tend to look at whatever the topic is, like rights, through that lens. And so when you look through a certain lens, you see things a certain way. You know, the lens that you look through determines what you see. That doesn't mean that the lens changes the actual object. It just means that what you're seeing is colored. It's influenced in your, in your mind by that lens. And so we're sitting here today looking at the issue of liberty and rights and you know freedom through the lens of COVID-19, the way that governments, municipalities, states, and the federal government in the U.S. and then countries across the globe have responded to this by, by limiting people's liberties and rights, all in the name of dealing with an emergency. Uh, we're seeing things like you know the vaccine being mandated where people are being told they have to get this thing they have to get this shot into their body or else you know lose their ability to participate in in society which people are like well you know choices have consequences uh, it's your choice you get to choose whatever you want i love how convenient people are about that argument how, how convenient that argument comes to people especially people on the left where it's like on one hand, uh, when it comes to something like abortion, there's nothing about the choices that one makes before getting pregnant or the choices that one makes leading up to a pregnancy. And don't give me this, oh, but what about you know rape and incest? Those are such, those are such outlier cases. This is what people always do. You have a, a situation in society and, and when you try to determine what's good and healthy and right for society, They'll always run to these outlier circumstances. They always run to these things that are so extreme and so much in the margin, like the majority of unwanted, quote unquote, pregnancies are not due to rape. Let's just get that on the table. So stop throwing rape up there like that's the big thing that you got to figure out. You know, if people were using abortion solely to deal with uh, the results of a rape, we'd be having a different discussion, not meaning that I would support it, just meaning that's a different discussion qualitatively, ethically, philosophically, theologically, that you, you have to approach that on its own merits and try to figure that out and navigate a way forward. And I think there are ways to do that pretty simply. But the point being, you know, the opposition, the left always just goes to these extreme cases to try to like just sweep the legs out from under you. Because if you if you don't support someone that's been raped then you're a monster, and it's like, well, we're not talking about that. The tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of abortions that happen every year are not rape cases. We, we would, If they were, we would have a rape 
epidemic uh, beyond. I mean, that, that just it would just be like this is this is worse than gun violence. Now there there, you know, you get into statistics. We've got a real problem with sexual predators, et cetera. I mean, there. I mean, that's that's a whole other topic. But when you look at something like abortion, you know, if you bring up choice into that discussion. It's her body. She can do what she wants. It's like, well, what about the choices? I mean, choices have consequences. So, so at this point, you made some choices, and, and the consequence seemingly is that you're going to have a baby. Not necessarily a bad consequence, quite frankly. Having a child is, is a gift. I mean, it's actually a very positive thing, regardless of the circumstances. Bringing another life into the world is costly, uh, materially costly. It's costly to your ability to be self-centered. It's costly to your ability to have uh, to do what you want and to control your own life because all of a sudden you've got this other human being that you're responsible for. And that's big. I mean, that's that's life altering, life changing. There's no way to get around that, but it's actually a good thing. And so we talk about choice and you go, well, choices have consequences. If you don't get the vax, you shouldn't be allowed to participate in society. You made a choice. And so you just have to live with it. And yet, on the same, uh, by the same token, I, I never, that, that whole by the same token, just such a strange, I have to look the etymology of that idiom up. What does that mean, by the same token? I like on the other hand, because you go on this hand, we have this issue. On the other hand, you have this issue, and they are diametrically opposed. Okay, those are opposite hands. Or you could even say one side of the coin, the other side of the coin, heads or tails, those are opposed. But it's, it's the same thing, but two sides of it. Okay, I get that. But by the same token, what does that mean? By the same token, uh, okay. You mean the same thing? Like, it's just kind of weird. All right, Mike, keep moving on, buddy. So <laughs> this is the problem with these kinds of little side trails. Where was I? <laughs> but uh, when you talk about choice, it's just interesting to me that that only plays one way. And you're a monster, a monster. If you were to even suggest that a woman, oh my gosh, would you say this to a woman? How, how insensitive, even those of you listening right now that I'm using the language that you would say to a woman that she should have to bear the consequences of her choice. Like, oh my gosh, that's evil. What about the man? He doesn't have to bear the consequences. Well, that's a, that again, that's another discussion. If you agree that we should bear the consequences, consequences of our decisions, then I think we should have an equitable, fair, and honest talk about a man's responsibility to his child. Yes, a woman has to go through the physical uh, experience and burden of, of bearing that child and bringing that child into the world, which, it, you know, like anything in life, it's a burden. It's also a blessing. It's like what an experience men will never have, uh, regardless of what Nancy Pelosi and her team says. Uh, men will never have that experience, but it, it is a burden. Let's not let's not lie about it. Also, you know the old model of a man working and feeding a family. That's a burden too, but it's also a great blessing. And and there's some amazing things that come with that shouldering of a family financially and materially and caring for them. So we're talking about choices here, and you know when you look through a lens uh, at any given time, and you and you try to talk about liberty. We're looking through this lens right now of of liberty uh, through the lens of COVID-19 and the way that our society and societies in general are addressing it, dealing with it. You know, you've got this disease that 
this sickness that causes death in about 0.2% of the population. Not 2%, 0 0.2%, 1 of a percent, uh, or is that 1 -fifth of a percent? I believe it's 1 uh, No, it's 1 -fifth. <laughs> Gee whiz. 1 -fifth of a percent of the population you know, so far, based on our numbers, die from this thing. And, and arguably, that number could be a lot lower because a lot of those deaths, we have comorbidities. We had early on in the in the uh, pandemic where we really didn't know how to treat people. We actually caused a lot of deaths. You know, in the U.S., you've got the whole nursing home fiasco where states like New York and I believe Connecticut and some others, Michigan, uh, insisted. You know, Pennsylvania, uh, Levin, uh, was one of these folks that insisted the nursing homes had to take COVID infected patients in, which then of course, you know, the, this, this, the sickness ran rampant through nursing homes, killing vulnerable elderly people. So if you take a lot of that out of the mix and you go, well, now we kind of know how to deal with it. We've got treatments. We can do early treatments. We've got horse dewormer and all these other things. And, oh, we got the vax, the great salvation of mankind. We've got the jab from Pfizer, uh, our, our great savior. You know, you get all the stuff, you go, okay, well, I'm sure that number is going to come down. You know, if you could take off the table all the mistakes that we made trying to learn how to deal with this thing, because it was the novel coronavirus, it was new to us, uh, you know, that even 0 0.2%, 0 0.2 of a percent, like that's still pretty low. Uh, I would imagine that number is even lower. You look at that number and how we're reacting, and you've got a lot of people saying, well, hold on a second. You're trampling my rights. You're trampling my rights. You're telling me I can't have free association. I can't get together for Thanksgiving. Or, if, or this year they were saying, if you're going to get together for Thanksgiving, your kids haven't been vaxxed yet because we're just approving the vax for the little ones. You know, make sure that they eat quick and then get them outside or get them, get them the hell out of the house. Like, it's like, get those little bastards to eat, get them out of the house and so that you can enjoy yourself safely. It's like, it's just the insanity of it all. Uh, but this is what we're looking at. You can't do business in certain ways. It, they're making it very difficult. It seems like they're going to try to ban travel for those of us that are unvaxxed. It, it's like they're really pushing this thing. So you're having the, the restriction of liberty to go about and live your life. And you're also seeing the imposition, the coercion, and at some point potentially by force, uh, the res receiving of this injection into your body, this experimental drug into your body. And so what you see here, and the reason I want to bring this up, I want to talk about human rights. We tend to, in America, go to the Constitution. Well, the Constitution guarantees me this. The Constitution guarantees me that. We, we love to stand in this Constitution as if the Constitution is the document that provides us the rights. And I think that we're in this world that we live in right now where we're so attuned to what the government wants, what the government thinks, that we that we kind of just assume, we accept this idea that if it's the government that grants us our rights. And so on the left, it's almost like this welfare totalitarian state will tell you what you may and may not do. But on the right, they're guilty of it of the same mistake, which is they say, no, 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 Joe Biden doesn't get, doesn't get to tell me. The Constitution tells me that I can do this. The Constitution tells me that I can do that. 
Now, it's one thing when a country has a constitution to frame the way it wants to organize its society and, and to enshrine certain ideas so that the society will work on these ideas. That's one thing. It's, it, constitutions aren't bad. I'm not anti-constitution here. But I think those of us that are arguing that the Constitution guarantees me certain rights, especially in this certain framework that we're talking about, uh, are, are falling prey to the same trap that the left is in, which is the government will grant me my rights. And my point here being, it is neither the government nor the Constitution that guarantees you your basic human rights. You see, all of us have basic human rights. And I just want to touch on this a little bit because I think we kind of get hung up on what are the legal standing for my rights? Does, what laws are on the books that protect me? You know, what laws are there that guarantee I'm able to carry a gun and defend myself? What laws are on the books that allow me to do business with whomever I see fit? What laws are on the books that allow me to travel across state lines? You know, what laws are on the books that allow me to to work, to own property, to, you know, pursue my own happiness, as it says in the, you know, the uh, preamble of the Declaration of Independence? What laws are on the books that allow me to do these things? And, and this is that this is a mistake. This is an intellectual mistake and it's an untenable position because if you are looking to the Constitution for your basic rights. And we'll talk about what these basic rights are. And they're quite expansive, uh, frankly. If you're looking to the Constitution or a Constitution to, to, to grant you these rights, then you have to understand that if somebody changes that Constitution or nullifies it or, or, or the country falls apart, there go your rights with it. And so now you have no rights and you're in an untenable position because if someone is able to change things, then your rights go away. And what ends up happening is you're fighting this fight over the legal elements, the legal aspects of your rights when you could be insisting on your rights on a much more primary, much more fundamental, foundational basis. And I think that's a more potent way to argue for them. You see, our laws in theory are supposed to be reflections and applications of truth. Something isn't good or bad because a law says so. Laws are made to uphold what we understand to be good and to quell, to stop what we understand to be bad or evil. Laws should be a reflection of reality. Laws should not be creating reality. And so if something is necessarily good, if something is true, then the law should reflect that. And if it's not, then the law should not do that. But the laws don't call reality into being. The laws don't determine what is good or true. And I think we, we, we're so, this has become such an abstraction for us that we really have lost the context of, of how is it that we have rights? What gives us rights? What gives us liberty? What gives us freedom? It's not the Constitution. The Constitution can enshrine liberty and freedom, meaning it recognizes that liberty and freedom are a basic human right, and it can codify it. It can concretize it in a document that, that says, no, we recognize this. As a people, we are agreeing that this is real. Not that we have decided that you may have liberty, 
but that this constitution recognizes that it's not for us to take it away from you. You already have it. And we may not, the government, take that away from you. We may not impose restrictions on it. That's really what the constitution is about. It's supposed to be a, a, a document that limits the government from infringing on things that you already have and possess and own and have a right to as a human being. What the Constitution is recognizing is that every human being, not just Americans, but human beings, by nature of being human, have these rights. They're unalienable or inalienable, as we like to say. You cannot alienate somebody from these rights. You can't take them from them. And in the current climate, in the current situation, we've forgotten this. I do know that in times of emergency, you kind of band together. You know, if, if uh, I think of London during the, during the blitzes, they banded together. You know, you could say, well, I've got the freedom to, to turn my lights on whenever I want to. Well, go ahead, knucklehead, and call down the Nazi bombs on your uh, building on your flat. They run the lights in the middle of the night. That's great. Give them a target to shoot for. No, as a people, you go, look, we don't want to die. Let's work together. Let's keep blackout curtains. Let's, you know, let's make everything dark. Let's make it really hard for those SOBs across the channel to bomb us because we were trying to win a war here. And, you know, folks like to liken this, that folks like to make this akin to the war on COVID. It's like, well, you know, you look at the death rate, you look at the destruction that the, the Nazi bombs are causing on London versus this, you know, 0.2 of a percent of the people dying from this disease. And arguably that number could be lower. And it's like this, these aren't the same things. This is almost like saying like, hey, there was a stranger walking around the neighborhood. We saw this guy. I don't recognize him. Uh, he had a suit on and, and was smiling. He seemed like a nice, but, but what we're going to do is we're going to go house to house and search everyone's house. We're going to go up through all the rooms. We want to see everything. We're actually going to need to look at all of your documents. We're going to need you to open your safes and we're going to have to, for the time being, take your licenses, passports, and ask everyone not to leave the neighborhood because, yeah, we saw this guy walking around and we're not sure what's going on. But for the safety of the people, we have to go through your lives with a fine tooth comb. I mean, it's just this is very similar, metaphorically speaking, uh, to to that. It's like, yeah, there's a there's a pretty tough thing going around. I don't want to call it a flu because it's actually a coronavirus, which is not influenza, this thing of like, it's just like a really bad flu. Yeah, it's, it feels like a really bad flu uh, from my personal experience, but this is not related to a flu. It's related to actually a common cold. You know, we've got uh, Omicron, you know, oh my gosh, you know, but what you're not hearing, and I've talked to South Africans uh, because they shut down Southern Africa. And as you know, I'm connected to the South African community, the South African community, is that even a thing? Is that a community? It's a country of millions of people. It's a community. You know, they've hardly got, I, I, at the time, like last week, there were no hospitalizations. Yes, Omicron's all over the place. People are sick, but they're not sick like they were at the beginning of Corona. There's, there were no hospitalizations at this point, but maybe there are some now. I don't know. And there were absolutely no deaths from it. And this kind of tracks with the 
you know, common wisdom of virologists that, yes, when a virus first hits, it's pretty nasty. And then as it mutates, it gets more and more easy to catch it. It starts spreading a lot easier. But at the same time, grace uh, among graces, mercy among mercies, it's much less deadly. So, so yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe the common cold when it first hit the human race was obliterating it. Like maybe it was like, wow, don't get, don't get a cold, grog, because if you do, grog dead. <laughs> but here we are today in the common cold. It's a nuisance. It's like, ah, crap, I got a cold. Well, I got to go to work anyway. I mean, these days you don't go to work if you have a hiccup. You know, if you have an allergy sneeze in public, everyone's looking at you like you're, you know, you're about to shoot everybody dead on the spot. But, you know, back in the day, uh, three years ago, if you got a cold, you're like, ah, I got a cold. I got to get to work anyway. You know, you got sniffles. It's like you, you a little, maybe a mild headache. You got sniffles. It's a nuisance. It's, it doesn't knock you out. You can get a really bad cold. You're still able to get on with your life. And this is, I think, where COVID is heading, even though I believe, I strictly, honestly believe that COVID was manufactured in a lab. I think if you don't believe that, you, you really just are sticking your head in the sand. Like so much points to that. There have been admissions now by Fauci's NIC or whatever you call those SOBs over there that, yeah, we were actually, even though he said we weren't, we were funding research gain of function. I mean, there's just, it's all, it's all there except for Fauci just getting on saying, going, look, you got me. I, we, we helped make this thing. I apologize. Never going to happen. That short little toad, He's never going to admit to anything. He's going to go down with his billions. I wonder how much Anthony Fauci is worth. I mean, that's that's something that needs to be discussed in our society is like, how much is Anthony Fauci's net worth? I'm looking it up. Net worth. Uh, I mean, according to Yahoo, he makes more than the president. We know that he makes that much. Money Inc., I don't know if this is accurate, um, says that Fauci, now this was published two months ago, Fauci's got a net worth of $2.5 I'm a little disappointed. I'm a little disappointed for a guy making, he's like the highest paid public servant. He's been in this position from the 80s. I mean, he's, he's responsible for... Uh, AIDS and he's not responsible for AIDS, the pan, but it like he oversaw how we handle it, which many people, both in the gay community and other communities, <laughs> we're talking about communities today, say he was horrible. Like he should bear a lot of responsibility for how bad it was. He really mishandled it, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, he's worth 2.5 million. I, I think this is a guy that is either hiding his money or hasn't handled it. Well, I'm disappointed. I was expecting a lot more from uh, Anthony Fauci. So, holy smokes, now where am I? I'm all over the place. So we're talking about liberty. I want to talk a little bit about, well, where do these rights come from? If they don't necessarily come from it, they're not granted by the Constitution. And if our rights are not granted by a government telling us that you may or may not, and I was getting on this whole thing about, you know, they've stripped us of so much of our liberty. That was the first, you know, you, and people are like, well, you're just complaining about wearing a mask. Why can't, why can't you just do that? Why, why can't you just do it? Well, first of all, you know, you're the same people that are like talking about the science and the data. And for you, science and data means the latest CNN article. It's like, give me a freaking break. You wouldn't know data if it bit you in the ass. 
Let's just be honest about it. So the masks don't work. And if you don't believe me, you know, look up these little stupid ass paper masks that everybody's wearing. Look up the micron size. Look at the micron size of a coronavirus. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. These masks don't stop it. All they serve to do is to is to get you breathing your own air. And I feel bad for these school kids. These little children are just breathing their own dirty sweaty, germ-infested air. They, they need to get their faces uncovered so they can keep their faces clean and breathe fresh air. They need to be able to see human faces. All these masks do is to let you be more insular, more rude, more self-absorbed as you're out shopping. You're not safe. You, you get to feel smug that you're complying. Good for you, you little compliance monkey. These masks don't work. So people are like, why can't you just do this if it just saves lives? It's like, look, it doesn't save lives. So why should I do it? But it starts with masks. Then it starts with lockdowns. Then it goes to lockdowns. Then here we are, fast forward, and it's like compliance. You must get vaccinated. People, I mean, millions of people, hundreds of thousands at the least, if not millions of people, are losing their jobs because of these vax mandates. And just because the Supreme Court or some federal court struck down the OSHA mandate or they put a stay you know, of execution on it or whatever, like people are still losing their jobs because private businesses are saying, yeah, well, I, you know, I want to play it safe. And we put this thing in place before that got decided. We can't renege on it now because if we pull it back, we're going to have lawsuits of people that were wrongfully terminated by us because we were anticipating where this thing was going. This thing is a mess. This is a mess. You can't tell me that this is how you navigate your way out of a crisis a crisis of our own doing, a crisis that the numbers just don't add up. So that we have the question of liberty. If this is how governments are going to behave, it's fair enough to say that they're becoming tyrannical. They are dictating to human beings how they can and can't do things in ways that transgress human beings' natural rights. Let's talk about natural rights, because that's really what this is all about. What I'm talking about Natural rights. I'm talking about basic human rights. You have the right to life. No one can take your life from you. Now, you can forfeit your life, meaning you commit a heinous crime. You murder somebody. You do some horrible thing. You knew ahead of time that the punishment for that crime is either life imprisonment or the electric chair or whatever that is. You go ahead and do that crime anyway, you're kind of forfeiting your life. You're saying, my life, I'm throwing it away. I'm willing to risk my life to commit this horrible act. And then society's going to hold you accountable. So, yeah, we all have the right to life. We don't have the right to do whatever we want. We have the right to life. You have the, life, you have the right to liberty. What do I mean by liberty? What is liberty? Now, we like to think about liberty in terms of I can do whatever I want. That's the modern version. Liberty is like do whatever I want. And folks get, it's kind of funny, the same people insist that they should be able to do whatever they want, meaning they should be able to love whoever they want. They should be able to do whatever drug they want to do. They should be able to be, they should be not have to work such a hard, miserable job. They should be able to have sex and watch Netflix and smoke pot and everything's so unfair and unjust. They want that liberty. They want the liberty to pursue their appetites and desires. 
and interest. Not everybody's, I mean, not everybody's trying to be a creep, but like folks, you know, they just, it's like, they just want to live their own life and do whatever they care about. So it's like, I want to do whatever I want. On the other hand, they don't like the idea of somebody being able to pursue what they want if it's anathema to what they believe. So it's like, I want the right for freedom, but I don't want, oh, I don't want those terrible Trump supporters, those rednecks to do whatever they want. They're racist and oh, they love guns and they're scary and they're dangerous and they're, they're rednecks and they're evil and small minded. So it's like, the right to liberty, we, it's like we're all fighting for who gets to be free. And liberty was never contextualized that way. I mean, when the framers put our society together and the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, there was a concept of virtue. And so liberty was a lot of responsibility. It wasn't so much you have the right to do whatever you want. It is that you have the freedom over yourself. You are your own master, which means that you have to master yourself. There's a responsibility to behave and live a certain way. So yes, it's like when we tell a kid, like you're not old enough, but when you get older, you'll be able to do fill in the blank. We don't let them do certain things because they're not ready for that responsibility. You don't put a five-year-old five-year-old behind the wheel of a car. Now you could say, well, yeah, he's too short to see over the dash. You're right, but that's not the only reason that we avoid putting five-year-olds behind the wheel of a car. They, they don't have the motor skills. They don't have the context. They don't have the experience. They don't have the decision-making process. Like They just don't know enough about anything to have that kind of a responsibility. They'll end up killing themselves and other people. It would be horrible. And so we don't do that. They don't have the liberty. Why? Because they're not ready to be responsible. So you have the right to life. No one should be able to take your life from you, whether you're in the womb or walking around. But let's take that one off the table because I know some of you will get inflamed. But let's say your mother decided that you should live and now here you are, a thinking, breathing adult. You have the right to life. No one should be able to take your life from you unless you've transgressed in some way that's horrible. Maybe you've taken someone else's life and now you've got to pay a price. But no one can take your life from you. I don't think anybody argues with that. I think that's just natural law. And on top of that, you have the right to, to have liberty, to be free. Now, if you don't agree with the liberty argument, then ask yourself this, and how do you make the argument against slavery? What, what concept, what principle, what idea are you standing on when you say that slavery is evil? It's evil based on what? It's evil because if someone has a right to their own life, and if someone has the right to be free, every human being should have the right to be free, then it stands on principle that slavery, the ownership of another human being, is evil and wrong. It's the same reason that in modern Western societies, Wives are not chattel property. You don't own your wife. You don't own your daughters. There's, there, I mean, men might joke they miss the good old days when wives would cook the food and the men could sit with their feet up in the, in, you know, the old 50s or even 40s and 50s uh, print ads you know, where the wife's like making sure that he's happy with a cold beer in the newspaper and everybody leave dad alone because we don't want him to get angry and give us all a spanking. I mean, we might, people joke. We might joke about that because it's just it's so ridiculous. It's like, did people really live that way? And keep in mind, this was advertising too. So 
advertising, since when is advertising told the truth? <laughs> but at the end of the day, most men and women, but most men in this society would say, yeah, that's ridiculous. Like you shouldn't own your wife. Like my woman, my wife, mine mean in relationship with me is not a possession. This is, this is a human being. She has autonomy. She has a right to life. She has a right to liberty. This is a, this is a full-fledged human being. When she votes, it's not just half a vote. She gets a full vote at the ballot box. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Ladies, please know I'm just having a little fun here. But uh, you have the right to liberty. So you have the right to life, right to liberty. And then lastly, you have property rights. Well, how do you get these property rights? That sounds real capitalist, Mike. How do we get there? Well, here's the thing. The way that you get property rights, the concept, the philosophical concept, is that if you have a right to your own life and you have a right to freedom, and, and I want to emphasize this liberty comes in the context of responsibility. You don't have the right to do whatever you want. Yes, you have to take responsibility for your behavior and actions. You can't do things that hurt other people. And we can, you know, I don't have to unpack all that for you, I don't think. Maybe I do. I don't know. Uh, I, I, my listeners, I don't think, have to have that unpacked. I think it's a lot of people today that need it. But you get property rights because let's say your possession of yourself, nobody can own you, is this idea of liberty. Well, out of that comes this idea of property rights, meaning no one has a right to own you or own the fruits of your labor. So if you go out in your backyard, you work really hard, you plant a garden, you're able to raise some fruits and vegetables, you own those. Why do you own those? Not just because it's on my property. I, I, I pay the mortgage here, Mac. This is my garden. No, it's because it's from the fruit of your labor, your body, your effort, your time. These are your possessions. No one can possess you. No one can possess your time. And so when you go out and do this work, this comes out of you. You created this wealth. It's part of you. If you go out and, and fell a tree and cure the wood and mill it down and through the hard work and craftsmanship and effort and time, create this beautiful handcrafted wooden canoe worth thousands of dollars. No one gets to turn around and say, well, that's mine. You, you put yourself into it. We talk about an artist put themselves into their work. We talk about individuals, you know, putting themselves into their work. That's not just a figment. That's not just a kind of a, uh, 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 an idiom or some turn of phrase. It's, it's communicating a truth that you are putting yourself into something. And when you put yourself into something, you have the rights to that thing. You created it, you own it. And so you have these life, liberty, and property. Now, in the American, uh, pre the preamble to the American Declaration of Independence, Jefferson called it the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I think under that, he, he I thought that the idea of property would be uh, covered under the pursuit of happiness. So the point I want to make with all these is that all of these rights are are pre-political. These rights all existed before human beings created political institutions. Every human being has had the right to its own life from way back in the days of Grog the Caveman to today. You have, Grog had, and everybody in between has had the right to their own life. 
every human being has had the right to be free. Now, whether they were free or not is another question. You had very immoral societies. And let's talk about slavery for half a second here. Blacks were enslaved, whites were enslaved, browns were enslaved, reds were enslaved, and yellows were enslaved. And you could say the same thing about whites enslaved people, blacks enslaved people, browns enslaved people, reds enslaved people, and yellows enslaved people. Let's get off of this nonsense about white supremacy and white the evil of the whites, whites and slavery, slavery, slavery. The black slaves and brown slaves in America represent such a minuscule fraction of the history of slavery and mankind. And yes, it is a shameful chapter in American history. And a lot of the American founders even knew that slavery was immoral, that some of the founders that even had slaves knew that it was immoral and that it had to be eradicated. This wasn't like all of a sudden in 1960, people woke up and realized that black and brown people deserved equal treatment. This has been on the books as an argument amongst mankind for centuries. In America, even in its founding, knew that this was going to be a problem. And if you want to spend any time doing any just decent historical digging that you don't get taught in grade school, high school, or college, you'll see that there were fights about this and that the Republican Party, funny enough, is the party that led the blacks to freedom. This is like, oh, but then they, this one day they all switched sides. The Republicans became the bad guys and the Democrats the good guys. But the fact of the matter is slavery has been a human problem for millennia. You can read about slavery in the Bible. You can hear about slavery. The American Indians, the peaceful natives that represent this idyllic communion with the earth, this kind of primitive concept that folks like Rousseau fell so in love with, in tune with nature, the ideal human state kind of repristinated this, this pristine way of living. They, they kept slaves. They'd attack each other's tribes, each other's uh, warring tribes. They'd take as conquest slaves. They'd treat these human beings miserably. If there was a battle between Europeans and Indians, as the Europeans started to discover America and explore it and then eventually colonize it, uh, they'd take white slaves and vice versa. This is a human problem. But this idea that humans have a right to their own possession, to the possession of themselves, this life, you have a right to your life, you have a right to freedom, regardless of how societies handled this, and that you had a right to your own property. The word property, the root is essentially proper. It's proper that you should own that which you make. So it's property. It's just an old kind of way of saying that it's proper, it's right. If you do the work, if you do the labor, if this comes out of your effort, you have the right to it. Or let's say your father did the work and effort and then bequeathed to you his estate. It's proper that you should have that if it was given to you graciously and freely and within the, the bounds of your society's rules and laws. It's property. It's proper. It's appropriate. That's why we talk about appropriation. We're going to take something. It's appropriate to own it, and then we're going to appropriate it. <laughs> 
So this concept of property is essentially what is proper for you to own. And the reason that you get to this idea that, that you can own something is because it comes out of you. Now, the question becomes, what about property that doesn't come out of you? Well, that's, that's a good discussion to have. Not all property is moral necessarily. What about things that didn't come out of you? Like how can people own land? Again, these are interesting discussions. You can get into all that. We're not going to get into that today. Those are all, and there are good, there are good legal arguments. There are good philosophical and ethical and moral arguments and so on. But my point here today, as we get closer to the end, is that we focus on our rights and we go to the Constitution, we go to whatever laws. But the problem that all of us are going to be, if we aren't already running into, is those laws are changing. We've been focused on a legal battle. It's important. I'm not saying that we should abandon the legal battles. But we have to go back to, we have to insist upon more fundamental, deeper concepts when we argue for our freedom. And those deeper concepts are natural law. Those are unalienable. That doesn't mean when they said these constitutional rights are unalienable that no one may dare change the Constitution. No, when they say they're unalienable or inalienable, as people like to say, I keep saying that, what they're saying is it's not about this document. If you are a human being, you possess these rights. Now, folks like Black Lives Matter protesters are going into cities they have been and burning it down. And Antifa, you know, beating people with sticks, beating them with bricks, burning cities down, protesting over injustices. And then the media and the left is like, well, this is only right and fair. This is a peaceful protest. These people have been wronged and they have the right to destroy property and beat people, their bodies, take their lives from them enslave them in fear and terror as they as they sit in their rightful homes or businesses or neighborhoods but the truth is when your natural rights are being infringed upon by your government that is totalitarianism that is tyranny that's tyranny when a government insists upon encroaching and transgressing these lines, telling you what you may and may not do, telling you that it actually owns your life, it will tell you when you may do something, when you may not do something. It will tell you if you're allowed to participate economically, if you're allowed to create property and own it and what you may and may not do with it. That's tyranny. Now, one of the fundamental problems we're facing in our society, and we have been for generations now, is this idea of liberty doesn't work when people don't take responsibility. And that's our challenge right now. That's how we got to where we are. People on the right and the left don't want to talk about this, but the fact of the matter is liberty doesn't work unless you take responsibility. And people don't want to be responsible for their own behavior. They don't want to be responsible for their own actions. Oh, that's right, Mike. That's why I'm saying they got to get the vax. No, you don't have a right to tell me what I have to put in my body. And you don't have a right to create uh, qualifications for me to participate in the ability to like in society and the ability to like have an economic uh, pathway forward to feed my family, to create wealth, to pursue happiness, as Jefferson stated it. You don't, you, you can't make rules and hurdles and criteria that I have to fulfill just to have the right to do these basic human things. 
They were so quick to say that healthcare is a basic human right. And yet today, I mean, we heard this during the whole Obamacare argument, Europe understands it. How come America has a problem with healthcare as a basic human right? And yet at the same time, by the same token, we're seeing right now, if you don't get the jab, you're not allowed into a hospital in some places. They're turning people away because they haven't had the inoculation. Someone terrible, like my kidneys are collapsing. I need medical attention now. And they're turning people away saying, sorry, can't help you. you, you don't, you're not jabbed. But, but I don't know about this jab. I don't want to get the jab. And my issue isn't COVID right now. I've got kidneys failing. Oh, no, yeah, you don't, you don't have a right because you made a choice. So I guess, I guess healthcare is not a basic human right anymore? It's arguable. Is healthcare a basic human right? I don't necessarily think so. You could make the argument. I, I'd be happy to talk about this. Uh, what does what does a, a, a kind, gracious society want to provide for its members? Do we want to provide humane care? Well, that's kind of interesting when you when you. State it that way. When you tell me it's a basic human right, it's like, well, I have a hard time with that because at the same time, you have a right to liberty. And if you're taking liberties without responsibility, so for me, I'm a little overweight. I need to drop about eh, 10, 20, 30 pounds. <laughs> We're coming into the holidays here. I have lost some weight, which has been great, but I, I need to continue to trim down. Well, a lot of that is my own behavior. It's not just genetic, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I eat celery and I'm 600 pounds. You can hear the neck fat as I talk. <laughs> no, I mean, I have to take responsibility for my behavior. So with liberty comes responsibility. So then you turn around to the healthcare system and say, well, uh, I have serious health issues induced by my obesity, which is induced by my behaviors, but I have a right to health care, so you got to do something about this. You have to fix me because I can't control myself. And, and that's where you do get a society, a, a welfare state that says, well, hold on a second. We can't just trust people to make their own decisions because we're giving them this basic human right of health care, but then they're bankrupting the system because they don't know how to put the fork down. So now we're going to have to put laws into place that control people's behaviors so that they can have better health. This was all fixed before we got into this mess by just saying, look, you have liberty, but with liberty comes responsibility. Are you responsible enough to take control of your own life? Then you are responsible enough to own this, the, the outcome. Yes, we want to be a humane society. Yes, we want to be kind. Yes, we want to lift those up that are less fortunate, et cetera, et cetera. That's charity. That's kindness. That's human decency. That's a different story than basic human rights. Yet when you enshrine things like this into rights, then you create a welfare state that then strips you of your rights and will tell you what you can and can't do. I think you get the picture. So I want to make the point that life Liberty and property rights are pre-political. These are rights that existed before and outside of politics. And the political entity that you are under or entities, plural, that you are under have no right, no jurisdiction, no mandate to encroach upon those rights. So the question becomes, and I'm not going to address it in this podcast, the question becomes then what do you do when you're political entity, be it federal, state, municipal, if you're in the U.S., provincial, etc., in other countries, 
What do you do? What is your responsibility? What are your rights to resist that tyranny? When someone strips you of your rights, what are you able and what should you do? That's an important question. But I think before we can ask that question, before we can answer that question, rather, we have to realize that certain rights, life, liberty, and property, are pre-political. They existed before politics. They are part of being human. They are just part of the human experience. And that we as a people, left, right, and center, should understand what it means to be a human being and that there are certain rights afforded to every human and that we have to construct a society that recognizes that. I think that's what the framers were trying to do when they made the Constitution. They were trying to enshrine. They were trying to document, to formalize on paper so that everybody could know in case they didn't go through civics, in case they didn't go through education on philosophy and political theory and so on, so that they could know that, hey, everybody has these rights. Now, strangely, we're just throwing this out the window because why? Because the, the news media tells us COVID. And so all bets are off. And if it's not COVID, it's just going to be something else. You're never going to have a perfect society. You have to decide what's more important. Are basic human rights more important than, than the... Than the the panic du jour. If the threat du jour, the panic du jour of the day is, is going to override basic human rights, then, then you have a tyrannical society. And if you're supporting these things, then you are part of the tyranny. Don't think that tyranny can just be some king being tyrannical. Democracy is the worst tyranny of all because all it takes is 51% to tell the, the 49% what they must do, even if it goes against their conscience, even if it goes against their beliefs, even if it goes against their bodies, even if it goes against their liberty, their property. Think of that, the tyranny of the mob. We've been indoctrinated that democracy is the best way forward. Uh, we all have the vote. The people have the power. Democracies are the worst tyrannies because the 51% can just demand what the 49%, what, what the whole country will do or won't do. There's no room for dissension. There's no room for opposition. It can only end in violence when you're just letting the mob decide how things should go. We'll cover that in another episode. So think about that. Think about natural rights. What are your thoughts on it? Have you spent much time with this? You know, what's interesting about this, you don't even need, I mean, it, it helps to have a Christian worldview to, to get there. But I think anybody, atheist, anybody can just say, yeah, by, by uh, nature of being a human being, there are certain things that every human being should have. Who would argue that every human being should not be free? Who, who, who would argue that every human being should be allowed to possess, control, and have their own life? Who would argue that the fruit of your own labor shouldn't be yours? This isn't a socialism, Marxism, like, yeah, so laborers of the world unite. We could talk about these things. I th we have the freedom over them. So I can decide, hey, uh, if you're an employer, I'm going to give you my time and labor, and then we're going to share together somehow, hopefully in an equitable uh, distribution of that effort. We're going to come together, me and thousands of other people, hundreds of other people are going to work. You've got ownership that has all these other assets. We're going to leverage them together. I'm going to 
ideally live better, sharing my labor with you and, and doing it in conjunction with this corporation of people, this group that's come together. We're going to leverage all these resources, our time, expertise, equipment, finance, and so on. And then in the end, we all are going to get better than we would have gotten on our own. Like that's an equitable engagement. That's where liberty comes is like, I'm going to take responsibility for my time because quite frankly, if I'm by myself, I might be able to grow some carrots and cabbage, but I can't build myself a beautiful home. I can't send my kids to college. There's all these things I can't do just on my own with my own labor. But together we can do more. So, so there's, it's easy to take this basic pre-political concept of, of natural rights and then see how they play out into a, a fruitful, healthy society. They all have problems because the world is flawed. It's not perfect. You've got to ask yourself, like, what's the best model? And if you're for controlling people's lives, saying the government should be the one to decide, and you're for restricting people's liberty when and, and, and allowing them to not be responsible for themselves, if you're for taking people's property or deciding which property they should be allowed to keep and which they shouldn't and so on, then you are part of the tyranny. So what are your thoughts on that, guys? Get in touch. As always, hit me up, MikeGaston.com, M-I-K-E-G-A-S-T-I-N.com. Go to my website. There's a form to contact me. Love getting emails. You can also sign up for my occasional sporadic newsletter. Uh, there's a form there. And, of course, you can hit me up on LinkedIn. You can catch me sometimes on Twitter. Not very often. I don't really use Twitter. Probably LinkedIn's the only social that I'm on on a regular basis. But in the meantime, uh, if you do get in touch, great. If you don't, that's fine. I hope you guys have a great week. Please know I love you all, and I will catch you in the next episode. Thank you.